0: Uh, tonight, I want to talk about some of the practical things I learned along the way when we planted a church, because sometimes uh, practice and theory are, are worlds apart. So for us, before we planted, we had never been on eldership. We had never planted a church. We didn't know much about anything. We just felt called to go. So what we did was we found people of peace that was people that were willing to open their homes, that shared our vision with us, and we started a meeting, we had our, our um, the blessing from our leaders and off we went. And people would say, oh no, that's great, you know, wonderful for you that you get to, you know, you can create your own team and you can create your own culture. And at the time I was thinking, I have absolutely no idea what that means. I don't know what that, that's meant to look like. Um, I was absolutely clueless. The only thing we were convinced about was that God had called us and that we would obey. Ignorance, is bliss, And I wonder how many people, are they feel stirred in their heart to plant a church. You feel called to go, and then you do church planters, only to realize how little you know, and all of a sudden, your courage disappears. I want to encourage you, as you go, you will grow, and God will show you what steps to take, and you will grow step by step. We are scalpels in the hands of the master surgeon, and God is building His church. Our call is to be obedient. So I wanna encourage you, um, this is the word that God gave us when we planted the church. This is the word that we felt um, on our hearts that stirred us to go. 1 Samuel 22 verse two says this, and everyone who was in distress, and everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him. And I'm thinking, well they sound nice, now, everyone who's in distress, everyone who's in debt, and everyone who's bitter and soul gathered to him. The principle wasn't the distress. It wasn't the debt. It wasn't the bitter and soul part. It was that God will take broken people and make them whole, which is what he has done with all of us. Everyone listening to this right now, God has taken our broken lives and he's made us whole. And we felt God calling us to take broken people and see him work in their lives so that he could show off his power through who they are, through who they are. That God will pick his best team, his dream team from the bench. And we've seen God do that over the years. People that other people would have written off and all of a sudden you see them flourishing in the presence of God. Who the world writes off, God signs up. So I've got a bunch of points tonight and I'm hoping that it will really speak to you. I've been praying that God will put courage into you tonight or today, whenever you're watching this, the first point that I wanna make, and this is a point that Peter drummed into us, and it's so vitally important, it's this. It's more than a meeting. And you've just heard Peter speaking now, and he's just reiterated, it's more than a meeting. Uh, A church planting is about being on mission, not just having a meeting. And you've probably heard people say this 30 times, and you'll probably hear it 300 more times, and we've been leading a church for about six years now, And even if you've been leading a church for 60 years, the goal is to be on mission. The meeting is to facilitate the mission and not the other way around. Uh, Before being on mission, um, being on mission is always God's heart. And as we walk in it, we walk in favor with God. Listen to this. Favor is the fruit of being faithful to what God is doing. Favor is the fruit of being faithful to what God is doing, and let me tell you, meetings are absolutely important. In Acts two, we read all about meetings, temple gatherings, prayer meetings, house to house, but they are all about the mission. And I'm praying that as I'm sharing this, you will get this thing in your heart. They're saying, if I'm called to plant a church, it's not so much to go and start a meeting; it's to go and be on mission, as Paul said about, uh, as Peter preached about Paul, to go and share the gospel which is to know Christ and make him known. To plant churches is to be on mission, not just start a meeting. Now, point number two, when they said to me, you know, look, like, you, you go and start your thing. You can create your own culture. I was thinking, compared to what? Create a culture compared to what? Now, obviously, we wanted a kingdom culture, but How? When you're planting a church, what do you know about creating a culture? So the second point I want to say is this. Cultures are created. And this is something I heard TK say when he came. TK from the USA came here and he said this. Cultures are created by what we celebrate. And um, when we planted, I need to realize my time. When we planted, I remember going to Peter. And I said to him, Peter, I need a clear vision. I need to... I, you know, I need to have a clear understanding of where I'm going and what I'm doing. And, you know, like I've read a, a bunch of books on vision, and all they've done is cemented my confusion. And now I think I know something. I feel called by God. So I went to Peter, and, I, and, and Peter gave me the most deeply profound revelation of a vision that I want to share with you today, tonight. Um, and I'm trusting that God will speak to you through this revelation as he spoke to me. Now, this was our pioneering vision. This was, and if you're taking notes, write this down. Now I said, now I went for wisdom. This was the wisdom, make friends. And I was thinking, I'm sure it's meant to be more complicated than that, but I think I can do it. And by default, one of our cultural values was established, a culture of real people connecting to real people with a genuine connection. When we planted, our goal was this, just connect with people, Just connect, just build friendships, just share the gospel and live life. And as we did, church started to develop and a culture was started. Um, When planting churches, we seem to have a tendency to overcomplicate things. You know, just my thing is this, keep it simple. Just do what God is telling you. I remember at one stage we started the church and it started to grow quickly and things started to develop. And I went to Peter and I said, Peter, what's the next step for us? You know, we we need, you know, like we need to expand the vision. And Peter just said this: just keep doing what you are doing. Don't steady the ark. As we grow, I understand that we need to develop and mature systems, but we need to try and keep things as simple as possible. And I want to say this: four little steps that you can take: pray, praise. Preach, proclaim, repeat. Let's keep this whole thing of being on mission as simple as possible. Pray, praise, preach, proclaim, repeat. You know, keep the basics intact. And you might have been leading a church for many years, and you're watching this. Pray, praise, preach, proclaim, repeat. A little subsection under this section that I really re- want to want um, to speak about is this: As goes the leader so goes the church. Therefore, disciple, to disciple is through demonstration. We are called as people that pioneer that beyond mission to demonstrate discipleship, serving, evangelism, worship, lifestyle. We might not be the best at any of those things. There might be everybody in our church is better than all of those things, but that doesn't excuse us from them. All of us need to be doing all of these things all the time. Our goal is to lead by example until we are surrounded by people that have a greater capacity than we do, which is not very difficult for me. Uh, we, We don't lead because we are the best. We are not wolves. We lead because there is a call of God on our lives. Therefore, When people of big capacity surround us, we are not threatened by them. If anything, we create a culture celebrating their gift because we are secure in who God has called us to be and what we're called to do. I have rushed through that. I realize I'm speaking like a a tobacco tobacco auctionist. I will slow it down. This next point I really want you to get. Um, This is a a profound illustration I trust God will use to speak to you. From the early 1900s until the 80s, coal miners used to take canaries into the mines. And if there was a carbon monoxide leak, which is a colorless, odorless, flammable gas, the canaries would panic, or they would fall off their perch. And just for this illustration, we will pretend like they didn't die. So what they would do is they would panic, they would fall off their perch, and then sometimes the, the miners would go and resuscitate these little canaries. The point I want to make, if you're taking notes, is this, point number three. Firstly, have canaries, and secondly, pay attention to them. Your health, your energy, your pace, your relationships, your marriage. Church planters, run at a pace that your family and your church can keep up with. Pay attention to the voices of reason that God puts around you. The thing about carbon monoxide is that it's colorless and odorless. And burnout is colorless and odorless. When your spouse says something to you, don't ignore it. It will protect you and it could save your life. We need to surround ourselves with people that will pray for us, encourage us, watch our backs and warn us. When we go into this ministry, when we go out preaching the gospel, we wanna make sure that we're in it for the long run. a sub-point to this point, which for me was incredibly helpful. We saw incredible fruitfulness as we planted the church and as we pioneered something. And this is the point I want to make. Lean on the team. When we plant a church, we have nothing to prove. We have nothing to prove. So don't think, oh, I'm going to show them. I'm going to show them that I can do it. I'm going to show the world what I'm capable of. Lean on the team. Lean so hard on the team that if they move, you will fall over. Because the truth is, if they're not there, you probably will. Apostolic team is not an NCMI thing. It is a biblical thing. I've heard people say to us as we planted, they said, yeah, I know, but the thing is, it's great for you and the team because, you know, but the truth is they never call me. I mean, I can't imagine myself pulling up to a church and popping in and saying, hey, I know that you don't really know me, but do you mind if I preach in your church next week? Uh, uh, Maybe I can speak to some of your leaders. We need to make the call. We need to build that relationship and be intentional about it. On the other hand, I've also had people say to me, oh, you know, one of the reasons that things have worked out for you is because you you connected to all the guys on the team. Um, You know, when we plant, we can think, oh, you know, I can't afford a team guy. My advice to you is this. You can't afford not to have the team with you. To quote 300, the movie, give them nothing, take from them everything. The next point I wanna make is this. Uh, uh, Next point, if you're paying attention, never quote movies that people shouldn't watch. Um, Okay, no, that's not the point. The point is this. The team exists to see churches established and strengthened. If you can bless them, God bless you. If you can't, God bless you, but don't let that hold you back from inviting them to what you are doing. So lean into the team. Your success is their reward. And if you ask someone and they can't make it, ask someone else. And if they can't make it, ask someone else. From the start, and I was very blessed by this, from the start, create a culture of apostolic support. Let your church see that you are part of something that's bigger than just the people in the room. And and even though I'd never planted a church before, I'd never been on eldership, I surrounded myself with people that were incredibly fruitful in this area. And my thing was this, invite people in who are where I want to be. And as they come in, they bring all their gifts, and even through my lack, all those things are available, and our church was blessed by it. When we invite people in, it keeps us teachable, and it protects us. Okay, the next point I want to make is this: expectation is a tightrope. If we expect this big thing, I'm going to go out and I'm going to change the world for the gospel, and God's going to use me, and He's going to—it's going to be radical, and you know—and we expect this big thing. We get an auditorium of forty thousand people, and when we get there, it's just you and your kids because your wife didn't even want to go, and you and you, and you think, oh man, you know, I expected a big thing. But I got a small thing, we're incredibly discouraged. You know, we think in our minds, the picture I had in my mind of what God was going to do with me is not lining up with reality. And when that happens, we can become very discouraged. The same thing can happen the other way. If we expect a small thing, and all of a sudden it starts to flourish and grow and things start to to happen, we can think to ourselves, you know, I'm absolutely overwhelmed. Or we can start getting a little bit proud and arrogant and going, ooh, look at my gift. Look what I have achieved. Grant said something the other day that really just spoke to me. This is the gist. I might have the words wrong. Don't lose the individual in the crowd. For all of you listening, don't lose the individual in the crowd. A building is built one brick at a time. And so often our expectations are around apparent success, which is normally numbers heavy. Uh, If there is anything to expect, it's that God will transform lives one life at a time. For us, God said this, I will gather broken people and I will make them whole. And when they are whole, I will show the world what I can do with them. And we felt this, that everybody, everybody counts. Everybody is an individual, they're important. Everybody is important. I wanna give a warning, if I can, Um, And this might speak to some. This is a, a warning to us as we plant churches, as we pioneer these things, as we go on mission for Jesus Christ. Those that get tempted to compare and compete, through insecurity, stop collaborating and become controlling. And controlling leaders are dangerous leaders. We we need to demonstrate, not dictate. We are called to demonstrate a life of godly living, not just try to lord it over other people. When we genuinely love people, our heart is to serve them, to lead them, to see them flourish. And when people become controlling, the love is lost. And we don't wanna see controlling people. We wanna see people that love Jesus. And as they follow Jesus, people follow them. The next point I wanna make is this. A little ironic the way I'm speaking. Don't rush the process. Rather have no leader than the wrong leader. Rather have no leader than the wrong leader. And this sounds obvious until the pressure is on. When we plant, there is a temptation for us to use people out of need and not out of call. We think to ourselves, man, I need, I need this, and I need that, and I need a person there. And what we do is appoint people because there's a need, but there isn't a call. This can hurt you, it can hurt the person, and it can hurt the church. Just like our lives, when it comes to the call of God, Experience doesn't qualify and inexperience doesn't disqualify. So we need to trust God for who we pick. Right now, for those of you that have started something and you've got a little group and you've got a lot of needs, don't put people in place because there's a need. Put people in place because there's a call of God on your life and sometimes you might need to draw it out and mine it out, but there must be a call of God on that particular person for that particular thing. When we planted I used an iPad instead of musicians for worship, and there's an app called I Sing Worship, and for any church plant, I really wanna encourage you, take a look at the app, I Sing Worship. It helped us tremendously, but we had people offended that we would rather use an app instead of musicians, but we recognized that we didn't wanna put the wrong people in those situations and then see them burn out later on or see it impact us in a, a negative way. When we plant, which is my experience, you can attract, hurt people, Burnt people, people looking for a platform, people that are angry at the previous church they went to, people that are running away, whatever it may be. And then they will come to you with an incredible CV. Unless there is a call and you hear God, don't just put people in places. It's easier to rock a rowboat than a ship. So when we start a thing and it's just a small thing and somebody starts to rock it, everybody feels it. When it's bigger, there's more room to deal with those things. Be careful who you appoint. The next point I wanna make is this. Never, and this sounds so obvious, but let me tell you, it's profound. If you just get this right, you are setting yourself up for success. Never for a second underestimate or neglect the power of prayer. Not for one second underestimate the power of prayer. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 17 says this. Never stop praying. Pray like your church depends on it. Uh, there is an exponential supernatural power that is released when we pray. Let, us, let, let prayer be one of the foundational pillars of every church that we are connected to. You know, Let it be part of the culture of every church. Pray, 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 pray. Pray, there is power in prayer and let us see it released. My last point is this, his presence, my priority. I've shared this at one of these relating times some years ago. Uh, I encourage you to write this down and it's something I'm challenged with all the time. God spoke to me through it and I trust it'll speak to you. If we spend more time in prep than his presence, we substitute power for performance. I'll say that again. If we spend more time in prep, in preparation, then in his presence, we substitute power for performance. There is no substitute for anointing. It's amazing. You can get up and fumble your way nervously through something under the anointing of God and God does something radical with it. We are not here to entertain. We are here to stand and proclaim the truth under the anointing of God. There is no substitute for anointing. People don't need to be entertained. They need to be led into the presence of God. Nothing, nothing, nothing compares to the presence of God. And I was just shaken again on Sunday. Nothing compares to the presence of God. I wanna read a scripture, man, I am going to end with this, and I trust that, that it will set your priorities in order. It will put steel in your bones. It will position you to be the salt and the light to the, to the earth. Um, it's an incredible conversation between Moses and God, and it sums up uh, my heart for church planting. It also speaks into what I believe God is saying to the church at the moment. This is a word that I feel God is speaking to the church globally. And it's, it's at the moment, I feel this. The tree has been shaken, if that is the church. And if anything, it's been uprooted, And it's being replanted. We are moving from place to presence. People's buildings, people's security, people's all that. We are moving from place to presence. Listen to this absolutely profound conversation. Exodus 33 verse 1 to 4. The Lord said to Moses, get going you and your people you brought up from the land of Egypt. Uh, Go up to the land I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's a promise to you. I said, I'd give it to you, it's it's my promise and I'll stick to my word. I told them, I will give them this land to your descendants and I will see an angel and I will send an angel before you to drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites and Jebusites. Go up to the land that flows with milk and honey. For Moses, it's like, look, this this is what you want. You want this promise, go for it, go and take it. Go and live in the land of luxury. It's my blessing to you. Then he says this, But I will not travel among you, for you're a stubborn and rebellious people. If I did, I will surely destroy you along the way. Gentle Jesus, meek and mild, go on your own, because if I go with you, I will destroy you. Verse four, when the people heard these stern words, they went into mourning and stopped wearing their jewelry and fine clothes. Fancy doesn't equal favor. We can have all the facilities in the world, but if we do not have God's presence and God's favor, it means nothing. It's empty. Then we read further down in the conversation, verse 13 to 18, it says this. If it is true that you look favorably on me, let me know your ways so that I might understand you more fully and, and continue to enjoy your favor. And remember that this is your nation, uh, that this nation is your very own people. Remember, church planters, those that have a desire to lead, this is God's people and we do what we do for God's glory and not our own. The Lord replied, I will personally go with you, Moses, and I will give you rest. Everything will be fine for you. Then Moses said, if you don't personally go with us, don't make us leave this place. Before you go, plant a church. Lord, if you will not go with us, we will not leave this place. How will anyone know that you look favorably on me and on uh, on me and on your people if you don't go with us? because you'll have all those wonderful facilities. Surely that'll be an evidence of God. And then he goes on to say this, for your presence among us sets us apart from all the people. For all the people on the earth, the Lord replied to Moses. And Moses' heart's good And He's like, Lord, if you, I don't care what you've got in store because if you are not in it, I don't want to go. He says this, I will indeed do what you have asked for I look favorably on you. I know you by name when we long for the presence of God more than anything in the world, and we, in that we find his favor and he knows us by name, there is an intimate connection that we have with God. The saying goes like this, one day of favor is better than a thousand days of labor. As we go on mission for the gospel, we don't wanna be working, 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 working without the favor of God on our lives. I wanna end, like, uh, end with this. Church planting is not for the faint-hearted, It can be daunting, even terrifying. And there's this cliche saying that my wife keeps reminding me and I keep reminding her because you're in this together. Don't doubt in the dark what God showed you in the light. Planting a church requires grit. You've got to have steel in your bones. You've got to be prepared to walk a difficult road at times because Jesus Christ has called you. But because he's called you, you're willing to go. Surround yourself with people that share your vision. Surround yourself with team. Surround yourself with the presence of God, like a, a butterfly in a cocoon, waiting for, to see what God will do. Surround yourself with people that share your vision. Surround yourself with team. Surround yourself with the presence of God, and you will flourish, you will live in favor. Listen to this incredible line by Warren Wisby. It's one of his commentaries, and I end with this. He says this, when God's servants are in his will, and doing his work, they are immortal until their work is done. God will achieve with us everything he wants to achieve. All he calls us to is to walk in obedience.